Please open your Bible to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. This is the first book in the New Testament. The Bible's broken up into two general sections. The First Testament, or the Old Testament, which leads to the coming of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We're going to be giving our attention this morning to a familiar text, especially at this time of year. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18-25. through 25. And here we have Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. And if you're there, you can follow along with me. If you're not, you can look up at the screen. I believe it will be up on the screen projected as well. This is the Word of God for us today. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, give us ears to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, your very Son, who came to earth for us and for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, whenever a child is born, there's a question that parents uh, need to be prepared to give an answer to almost immediately. Uh, some are very prepared for this, others maybe not so much. Uh, the question is asked by nurses and by family and friends and even by strangers you might see in the checkout line. And the question is this, what's the baby's name? What's the baby's name? Now naming a child, is a, it's a big deal. Our kids are stuck with the names we give them, for better or worse, for the rest of their lives. Their association with that name is for life. My name, as I've mentioned, is Devin. It's the name my parents gave me. I had nothing to do with choosing that name. It's been a fine name. I haven't felt the need to change my name for any reason until actually just recently when I met a, uh, an Australian pastor who's become a friend of mine named Riley. And he kind of did a double take. And he was like, is your name really Devin? He was like, yeah. And, and I told him, yeah, my, my mom is British. She was born in England. And uh, she named me Devon after kind of the southwest part of England. That's why my name is Devon. He said, well, in Australia, you would just be laughed out of the room with that name. It's like, really? He said, yeah. He said, in Australia, it's like, um, what do you call it in the U.S.? Spam. That's what Devon is. Spam. Baloney. I was like, really? He said, yeah. And it gets worse. He said, me and my buddies, we joke about people who have, guys who have male pattern baldness just up here, it looks like a Devon. So if you're a Devon, you're, you're bald back here. And I was actually in the back of the room and there's some Devons in here. You might not have been aware. 
but there are some Devons here. But that's my name, Devon, name given to me. Uh, there are roughly 385,000 babies born each day. 385,000 babies born each day. 140 million babies per year. Uh, and that means in the time that it takes me to say, Merry Christmas, around five babies were just born. Now, there are all kinds of reasons that parents name their children. And in the Bible, names are often given to communicate something about the person's identity. And in our text today, that is just what we see in the birth of this baby, in the birth of Jesus. We see a story about the birth of a baby boy that happened in a real place at a real time 2,000 years ago. And it's important for us to recognize that the only reason that we are gathered here today, the only reason we're gathered here today, is because this child was born. Now we're going to consider our text in two sections. So there's two, two parts to this, this sermon. First, there and then. And second, here and now. So first, there and then. Let's begin by going back there and then with Matthew and consider just what took place 2,000 years ago. Now Matthew, uh, contrary to Luke, tells this story by focusing on Joseph's experience of the news of the birth of this baby. Now the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about who Joseph was. Uh, what we do know is that he was a carpenter by trade. We also know that he was a descendant of David, who was once the great king of Israel. Now this is the same David who defeated Goliath, the same David who wrote most of the Psalms, including Psalm 23, which you may be familiar with. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That David. This is the David who God made a covenant with, saying that his throne would be established forever and that God would be with him forever. David was a big deal. And so Joseph is a descendant of this David. Now this seems like quite the claim to fame to be related to this David, except that this David has been dead for about a thousand years when Joseph comes on the scene. The glory of David's throne seems to have been completely snuffed out. It's kind of like if I was to say I was related to King John, who was the king of England from 1199 to 1216. It's like, that's a great fun fact, but it means absolutely nothing for me today. That's kind of how it was for Joseph to be related to David. So Joseph is a carpenter, a descendant of David, and we also know something else about him. He is betrothed to a girl named Mary. Betrothed to a girl named Mary. Now, I don't know about you, but betrothed is not a word that I used often any other time of the year. Now, we tend to think of being betrothed like being engaged. That's kind of what we think of as kind of the, the, the cultural uh, synonym, which is kind of accurate, but it's not, not really that accurate. Betrothal was more like taking marriage vows or, or signing a marriage certificate. It was a much bigger deal than our, in, our conception of engagement would be. It was this legal covenant that could only be broken by divorce. It's so significant that Matthew even describes Joseph as Mary's husband in verse 19. So it's a, a much bigger deal than engagement. In those days, a couple would be betrothed for around a year, but in that year, they wouldn't spend time together on their own during that time, if you know what I'm saying. So Joseph is betrothed to Mary, but then his world is turned absolutely upside down. And verse 18 tells us why. At the end it says, 
she was found to be with child. She was found to be with child. Matthew doesn't tell us how Joseph discovered this. Was she often sick? Was she asking for cantaloupe all the time? Was she starting to show? All Matthew tells us is that she was found to be with child. And all that Joseph knew at this point was that this is not good. There's, there's really no painting it any other way. Mary has a baby on the way, and he is not the father. Now, this is a, a disaster for Joseph on every level. And, and far, far more significant than like our modern conceptions of this situation. Because for Joseph, everything that he planned for his future has now kind of been thrown away. The things that mattered most to him, his life, his well-being, his relationships, his view of himself, all came under threat by this fact, that Mary was found to be with child. I mean, we, we know kind of the answers to these questions. How was Mary found to be with child? We know that. But Joseph didn't, not in this moment. And for him, all he would have known was that his wife has betrayed him. All this time he thought of her as, as wonderful, someone that he's going to share his life with, but now she has proven herself to be a liar. She has desired what is not hers. hers. She has coveted. Uh, she's committed adultery. Mary is a fraud. But then there's also the problem of Joseph's own reputation for himself. Will people ever trust him? Will they trust his judgment? Like he was, he was betrothed to Mary. He didn't even know who she was. Will they trust his word? There's Mary over there pregnant. Sure, Joseph, you're not the father. His reputation is on the line. His future is in doubt. His world is crumbling around him because of this one fact. Mary is found to be with child. But it's here that Matthew tells us something else about Joseph. Verse 19 tells us that Joseph was a just man. Joseph was a just man. That's not a headline you read often in the newspaper these days. But Joseph was a just man. To be just means to be righteous. This is the same word that Luke uses to describe uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Just. Righteous. Joseph was righteous. But not, not in a way that meant he was innocent of any wrongdoing. Rather in a way that meant that he trusted God and desired to walk in God's ways. That's what it meant for him to be a just man. He was one who had purpose to his life. He viewed the purpose of life to know and love God and to love and serve others. That's what his life was about. And so this meant that Joseph, in his desire to follow God and walk in his ways, it also meant that Joseph was compassionate. And in the face of the perceived wrong that Mary has done to him, rather than humiliate her, Joseph didn't want to put her to shame, so instead he intends to divorce her as quietly as he could. That's what verse 19 tells us. So here's Joseph. His, his life is, is falling apart. He's come up with a plan, but he's not rash. Amidst everything crumbling around him, he doesn't go crazy. He doesn't question his purpose. Clearly, what Matthew is showing us is that what Joseph cares the most about is bringing honor to the Lord, walking in the Lord's ways. So Joseph, in this moment of despair, at this point when his life has been completely shattered, 
Matthew tells us in verse 20 that Joseph considered these things. Joseph considered these things. And then what did he do? He goes to sleep. He takes time to try to work these things out in his mind, and so he sleeps on it. But there's something that happens that night. Something changes. Information comes to Joseph that completely changes his perspective on Mary and on his whole life. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. In the midst of Joseph's trouble, in his state of of turmoil, unrest, God intervenes. God steps in and God sends a messenger to Joseph. And the angel tells him something. He tells him this. This is verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The baby that Mary is found to be with, the baby that Joseph knows he has nothing to do with, is from the Holy Spirit. It's a miraculous conception. And it's this reality that changes everything for Joseph. Because when he finds this out, he now knows Mary hasn't been unfaithful. She had been called by God to carry this baby. The baby in Mary's womb wasn't there because of Mary's sin, but by the Holy Spirit. And this was a reality that Joseph could have never imagined. But once he heard it, it was all he needed. He heard and he believed. And so he acted. And we're going to skip down to verse 24. Verse 24 shows us how decisive Joseph was about this. It says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. For Joseph, when it came to obedience, there was no waiting around. He obeyed immediately. Uh, We see this in that what Joseph most feared was not the possibility of being canceled if he took Mary as his wife, which would have been the reality for him, or a fear that he would have had. What Joseph most feared was failing to obey God, failing to walk in his ways. Regardless of what anyone else might say or think or believe, Joseph heard and received and believed this message from God. And it's here that that Matthew skips over the dozens of details that Luke includes in his account of Jesus' birth. There's no census, there's no full in, there's no singing angels, there's no terrified and mesmerized shepherds, no manger or swaddling clothes. Just Joseph's wife gave birth to a son. That's it. That's what happened there and then. A child was born. And the child was born in an ordinary way, as all children are born. A child was born. But this is the moment that changes the world. It's because of this moment that we are here today. And this leads us to our our second section, here and now. So we've considered there and then, but now here and now. It's not enough for us to just look back at the righteousness and courage of Joseph and have our hearts warmed by his, his love and then move on with our lives. 
It's not enough for us to just hop into a time machine and imagine ourselves there and then. What we need to understand is the significance of this story for us here and now. So here and now, why should we care about the birth of this baby that took place 2,000 years ago? Here and now, just who is this baby? Now we find our answer to these questions in the name that is given to this child in verses 21 through 23. Our answer is in this child's name. It's not a name that Mary or Joseph came up with. It's a name with meaning and purpose and hope for us today, for us here and now. In verse 21, the angel tells Joseph that Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus means God saves. It has its Hebrew root in the name Joshua. And Joshua was the name of the successor to Moses who led God's people into the promised land, into the rest that God had promised for them. That Joshua of the Old Testament points forward to this Jesus. This is a name that tells us about what God has come to accomplish through the coming of this child. Jesus means God saves. But just what does God come to save us from? That's a question we have to answer. The answer to this question is so important. Now for many in Joseph's day, the hope that they held on to was that God would save his people from the Roman occupiers who ruled over their land, who worked to suppress their national identity. That God would come in the form of a warrior or a conquering king and restore to his people the glory that they once had in the time of David and Solomon. Now perhaps in the here and now, you have your own hopes for what, what God might come and save you from. For some of us, those might be really, really big things that we think of, like bringing an end to war. There's war all around us. Or bringing peace and healing to our nation. Or bringing unity where there's division. But for most of us, where we want to be saved is, is really far more personal. And we might not want to admit it, but perhaps it's just a broken relationship that weighs us down. Or a marriage that's full of conflict. Maybe it's anxiety about the future or, or fear of a medical diagnosis. Maybe it's a bad business deal that you need to be saved from or a car that just has constant problems. There is so much that's wrong in the world today. And deep down, we, we all just, we want our problems solved, right? We want our problems to go away. We want peace. Now, around 100 years ago, a guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton, he responded to a question that was sent out to famous authors, G.K. Chesterton being one of those famous authors. And the question that they were asked was, what's wrong with the world today? As you can imagine, many of these authors would have responded with these long philosophical treatises on what's wrong with the world today. Chesterton's response was simple. And it was this, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world today? I am. You see, Jesus comes to do far more than solve our problems. Because our greatest problem lies not out there in the circumstances of our lives, but in here. Not outside of us, but inside of us. Our greatest problem is our sin. 
It's a stain that affects every one of us and everything that we do. We want to live a certain way, but we mess up. We set goals for ourselves that we fail to reach. We want to do good, but we are constantly doing things that we end up regretting. All of the deceit, the selfishness, the pride, the anger, the jealousy, the bitterness that we feel, and we all feel these things, all of these things are sin. They're falling short of the mark. We can't earn our way. We can't be good enough. We can't do what we want to do. We are sisters, uh, sinners. We're not sisters. We're sinners. <laughs> we are sinners. Some of us might be sisters, but we are all sinners. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned. So the Bible tells us that, that none is truly righteous. It tells us that we are dead in our sin. Dead in our sin. Think about that. Spiritually, we are, are dead in our sin. Dead people cannot make themselves alive. Dead people cannot save themselves. Dead people can't do anything. Our only hope is for something outside of us to act, to step in. Something that's alive to come into the deadness of our sin. Our only hope is for something untouched by the stain of sin, unaffected by the stench and misery of this world to intervene. And into our darkness, light shines. Into our world of death comes the light of life. Because even though we are dead in our sin, I like how Ephesians 2 puts it, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, abounding in grace, God intervenes in our helpless state, and He does it by sending this child, this baby named Jesus. In verse 21, Joseph is told that he shall call his name Jesus, and he tells him that for a reason. What is that reason? For he will save his people from their sins. This baby is born of Mary. He comes for this purpose, to save his people from their sins. We know that Jesus does this through his death on the cross. Peter says it this way, For he himself bore our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 5, For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Jesus, we are saved from the guilt of our sin by being washed in his atoning blood. In Jesus, we are saved from the dominion of our sin by being sanctified by the Spirit. And in Jesus, we will be saved from the presence of and consequences of our sin when we are brought into His everlasting rest. But wait, there's more. Matthew writes this in verses 22 and 23, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, who we heard from earlier, who 700 years prior, he said this, Behold, 
The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now here we come to another name, a second name for this child. Emmanuel. And Matthew tells us just what this name means. And what a glorious truth this is. God with us. You see, this child who was born to be a Savior isn't just a there and then Savior. He is a here and now God. God with us. This child wasn't just a child. Just another baby. This child is Emmanuel, God with us. And as the church has confessed for nearly 2,000 years, He is the only begotten Son of God. Begotten of His Father before all worlds. God from God, light from light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Before all things were, He is. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is the beginning, the one who was and who is and who is to come. The Alpha and the Omega, the one who upholds the universe by the word of His power. The one to whom every knee will bow and tongue confess as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is that child, that baby, is God himself with us now to dwell. And because he is God and man, he can indeed save us from our sins. In the birth of this baby, we see the coming of the Savior, the dawning of light and life. He came as man to live righteously as our representative. Man that we might see him, approach him. As the hymn says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. God, who is spirit, whom no eye can see, comes as a baby to be held, to be nursed, to be raised. He humbled himself and took on human flesh. He laid his glory by. But he is God with us, the one who has the power to overcome sin and death. He was born that we may no more may die. He was born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. New life, eternal life in Him. He is our hope and He is the why that we are here right now. So then the question for us today is this, for each of us today is this. If Jesus was really born, if He really came, if He really is who He says He is, will I follow Him? Now there's this sense that we are all like Joseph. Because when Christ comes, he comes and turns our lives upside down. He turns them inside out. The coming of Jesus changes everything. So then are we willing to trust him to respond as Joseph responded in faith and obedience? Now perhaps as you consider this question, there's a fear about what this might mean for you. All that might need to change. And perhaps you might think, like, I just need to get things in order first. Or I need to learn more. I need to get to a place where I'm good enough, where I've done enough. And if this is you, consider again the name of Jesus. This happens every Sunday. The lights turn off and then they turn back on. Out of darkness, light shines. And it's a wonderful reminder. If you're in a place where you feel like, yeah, like I'm not ready for this. Consider the name of Jesus. He, is to come, he has come to save you from your sins. Don't wait 
to come to him. Listen to his own words that are recorded later in Matthew, in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. It speaks to those who are tired and exhausted, who are overwhelmed by the burdens they've been carrying. Perhaps that's you. You're weary from trying and trying and trying and trying some more. Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is Jesus' invitation to every one of us. And it's an invitation that goes out not for the, the put together. It's not for those with peaceful homes and clean homes. It's not for the prosperous or the fashionable or the successful. It's for the sinner. It's for the weak and worn out. For the tired and heavy laden. And consider the, the, the hope that Christmas presents us with. Jesus, although he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he comes to us not as some unapproachable deity. He doesn't come with some lofty title. He comes to us not surrounded by an entourage of bodyguards. He comes to us as a helpless baby, a baby that's content to be called Savior. And this is what he invites us to do. He invites us to come. We just sang about it earlier in O Holy Night. Come then to him who lies within the manger. With joyful shepherds proclaim, his, proclaim him as Lord. And that next line is, let not the promised son remain a stranger. In reverent worship, make Christ your adored. Come into his presence. Experience his love. Walk in his grace. Receive his mercy. You see, the Christian faith is, is like the Christian Christmas story. It's not about what we must do. It's about what God has done. Coming into this world to save sinners. That's what he is all about. Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus Christ is the gift of heaven for us. Jesus, Emmanuel, is God with us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending your Son who took on human flesh and intervened in, in the midst of our darkness. We are, we are a people who cannot save ourselves, but we have encountered a sufficient Savior in this Jesus, this child who was born 2,000 years ago. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. And Lord, if there are any here that are in a place where they're asking that question, do, am I willing to follow him? Lord, would you draw them to yourself? And would you help us to come to you, the Savior of the world, and cast ourselves upon you? Help us to repent of our sins and trust in what you have done for us. For the glory of your name, amen.